Hey, why don't you get your Bibles out and open up with me to the book of Acts in the uh, New Testament. Acts chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. Uh, Acts chapter 13. We're going to be looking at a church called the church at Antioch. Antioch was a metropolitan city that was in ancient Syria, about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. And the church in Antioch was a very unique church. It was a church that God used in a very powerful way, very special way, a very unique way. You know, uh, it, it was set apart in so many different ways. For example, in the church of Jerusalem, if that Jerusalem church was the mother church, the church of Antioch was the mission church. If Jerusalem is where it all started, uh, Antioch is where it spread uh, to the rest of the world. And Antioch really began in a unique way. There, we don't even know who started the church of Antioch. We're just told that some men from Cyprus, the island in the Mediterranean in Cyrene, North Africa, had made their way up to Antioch and started preaching. We don't know who these people were. We're not necessarily sure where they came from, but they started preaching and many Greeks came to faith in Jesus. So the church of Antioch was a very diverse church made up of Jews and Gentiles, started by people we don't even know. It was just something that God was doing. When they heard about it in Jerusalem, that there was a church full of Greeks and Gentiles, they said, man, we got to see this for ourselves. So they sent up Barnabas to check it out. And sure enough, Barnabas came back and said, man, the hand of God is on them. Many people are coming to faith in Jesus. In fact, they were so evangelistic that the believers were first called Christians in Antioch. Not only were they an evangelistic church, but they were also a disciple-making church. Barnabas, when he saw these new believers flooding into the church, they, he knew that they needed help to be grounded in the faith. So he went back and got what would later be known as the Apostle Paul and brought him up. And for one full year, those men invested in this church. They discipled the leaders. They poured their life into them to root them and establish them in the faith. So they were a very disciple-making church. They were also an incredibly diverse church ethnically. Uh, not only because they were made of Jews and Gentiles, but their own leadership team. Look at Acts 13, uh, beginning of verse 1. This is the word of God. He said, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now that's a verse that you'd probably just skip right through, right? If you were just reading it. But it's an important verse because it shows the ethnic diversity of this leadership team. Barnabas was a Jew. He was from Cyprus, that island in the Mediterranean. Uh, Simeon is called Niger. Niger means black, so he was most likely a North African. Lucius was certainly from North Africa because he's from Cyrene, which is located there. Manan was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, which is probably Herod Antipas, which was, would be located in, in northern Israel. And then you have Saul, which is later known as the Apostle Paul. He was from Tarsus, which is modern-day Turkey. So if you did a little pushpin on the map of where all these leaders were from, they were from all over, multiple nations, multiple ethnicities, and so God was bringing about a diverse leadership team to lead a diverse church that would reach a diverse people group. See, that's what's happening. 
totally unique, brand new, never seen this before. And by the way, this is what's going to have to happen in New York City. Uh, for us to reach a very, very diverse part of New York City, Hamilton Heights, which is right next to Harlem, just north of Central Park. Uh, it is, is incredibly diverse, black, brown, uh, Asian, white, just pretty much everything you can think of is in Hamilton Heights. All different kinds of religious backgrounds, philosophical backgrounds, and yet it's going to take a diverse team to lead a diverse church that will reach that diverse part of the world and that diverse part of the city. And so uh, you, uh, Antioch was wholly and completely a unique church. But here's what I want to show you. Today I want to kind of press in on one thing about this church that I think really sets it apart. More than their diversity, more than how they got started, more than their disciple making DNA. This is something that really set this church apart and allowed God to use this church. And that is that this church had a global vision. This church had a global vision. In other words, the church wasn't just fo focused on itself. It, it saw that there was a call of God on it greater than just that one church. I don't know if it, they had this global vision because so many people were from other places and they said, hey, I've heard the gospel. I want to take it home to my people or to my family. That could be the case. Maybe it was because Antioch was such a melting pot anyway that they're always aware of other nationalities and so on. But, but whatever the case, this church had a pulse that beat for the heart of God around the world. They had a bigger vision than just their family, a bigger vision than just their church, even just their city. They had a global vision. Now listen, if you want to have a global impact, it will require that you have a global vision. If you want to have a global impact, it's going to require that you have a global vision. Now, let me just step back and apply this to your own family. We're talking legacy here, right, in this series. So we're talking about how you leave a spiritual legacy. Last week, we talked about the importance of God's stories. Today, we're talking about a, a, uh, a, a legacy, a global uh, vision, right? And so, how does this look like in your family? Well, let me just say that in my childhood, one of my earliest memories was my dad taking me on mission trips. I remember going to mission trip in Mexico. I remember sitting on the floor in small little uh, uh, cinder block buildings, <laughs> hearing the gospel preached in a language I didn't understand and seeing people come to Christ. And that had a profound impact on my life to say that the God that I worship is a global God. He's at work among the nations. That profoundly impacted my life as a young man. Uh, when we were raising our daughters, we did the same thing. We, we took one of our daughters to Honduras. We took another daughter uh, to Peru. And every time we went, we would go and we would experience the poverty. We would see the people. We would love on them. We'd minister to them. We would see the gospel going out. We'd share it. And they would come away with their worldview shaken and expanded and, and, and broadened. See, if, if you want to have a spiritual legacy, you've got to fan into flame. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to blow on the, the, this, this global vision so that it can grow. You've got to expand it and instill it and cast the vision and, and pour into your children and to your grandchildren a vision that God is at work around the world and we get to be a part of it. Now listen, the same thing is true in a church. 
If a church is going to have a spiritual legacy, a church has got to have a global vision. A church has got to see that God's at work, not just only in my family, not just in our own church, but that God wants to do something bigger than just ourselves. And that's really what was happening at this church at Antioch. They had this global vision and they were, they were creating a spiritual legacy by church planting that continued to grow and continued even to reach the shores of Europe that would reach us eventually. So how do you do that? How do you instill a global vision in your family? How do you do it in a church family? That's what I want to talk about today. And I want to just get really practical with you and I want to show you right out of this passage how you can develop this kind of global vision, okay? If you're taking notes, pen out, paper out, once you write this down, you got your uh, iPad out, get, get the keyboard up, I want you to type this down, okay? Here's the first thing I want you to jot down. How, you inst- how do you develop this global vision? Number one, you got to listen to the Spirit's voice. You got to listen to the Spirit's voice. Look at verse two. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, now stop right there. I want you to notice what they're doing when the Holy Spirit speaks to them. It says that they were worshiping and they were fasting and praying. You know, your version, look at your Bible. Your version may not say the word worshiping. Your version may say the word ministering. I think the New American Standard says that, King James Version says that, ministering. It's the word that we get the word liturgy from. It literally is to minister to someone. And so the idea is, have you ever heard somebody say, oh, I heard that song and it just really ministered to my heart or, you know, you shared something that really ministered to me. What does that mean? That, 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 that met, you know, a, a need or that, that I received that, that blessed me, that encouraged me, that helped me. And so here they are, they're not ministering to one another, they're ministering to the Lord. Now you say, what do you mean, Craig? What do you mean by ministering to the Lord? What does that mean? Well, I think about like Mary washing Jesus' feet. She was loving on him. She was honoring him. She was blessing his name. She was praising him. That's why many versions translate this worship and not minister. But it does give us an insight into what worship really is. Worship is not about you. Worship is not about me. We don't walk out and go, well, I didn't really get that much out of that worship. Well, it wasn't really for you, right? Worship is what you bring to Jesus. And so when you say, this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior, what are you doing? You're ministering to the Lord Jesus. You're saying, Lord Jesus, you're so good. I love you so much. You're, you're, you're so faithful. You're ministering to the Lord. Well, that's what they were doing. They were, they were ministering to the Lord. They were fasting. They were praying. Little, uh, little commercial here. In January, we're going to do a new series called Essentials, where, where we're going to teach you the, the essentials for a growing, vibrant walk with God. And we're going to lean in on what does it mean to really pray in a powerful way? And what is fasting? We're going to talk about these things. But these things were part of the rhythm of this church's life. They were constantly worshiping. They were praying. They were fasting. They were yielding to the Lord Jesus. And in that context, they heard the Spirit of God speak. Let me give you a little news flash here. The Spirit of God still speaks today. You agree with that? Okay, I heard a few faint amens, all right? So let's try that one more time. The Spirit of God still speaks today. There you go, there you go. That is right, and you know what? The Spirit of God is at work today just as he was at work in the book of Acts. 
I was listening this week to a astrophysicist that had given his life to Christ. He's got this wonderful ministry in the science community of sharing the gospel. But one of the things he noted that, that caught my attention, he said as he was a young believer, he was reading through the book of Acts the book that we're studying right now. And as he gets to the end of the book of Acts, those of you that have read this book, you know it ends kind of awkwardly, right? It's like Paul finally gets to Rome and, and then he's there and it just says that Paul was faithful and boldly proclaimed the Lord and it just stops. And it's just like a weird drop off. You have this whole storyline and then it stops. And he said, I didn't understand why did it end so awkwardly and he said then I got it it didn't end the book of Acts is still going you see the same spirit of God that moved in the church at Antioch is the same spirit of God that moves in our church and the same spirit of God that that speaks to the to the believers then is the same spirit of God that speaks to us and the same gospel that transforms lives then is the same gospel that transforms lives today. And the book of Acts is still going and the Spirit of God is still moving through churches like ours as we obey Him and as we listen to Him. The Spirit of God is still speaking, folks. The issue is not, is God speaking? The issue is, are we listening, right? Are we listening to what God says? Anytime you're hearing the Word of God taught, God is speaking, but are you listening? It's kind of like your kids sometimes. They're hearing you, but they're not listening to you, right? No amen, silent. Okay, I got it. Anyway, and, and so what you've got to do is say, God, how are you speaking to me? Are you speaking to me? God, where, where are you speaking in my life? What are you prompting me to do? You know, so many times when we hear God speak, we immediately default to excuses. Well, I couldn't possibly. I couldn't do that. I'm not wired for that. That's not my calling. Yo, that's my favorite one. That, I'm not called to do that. I'm like, oh, all right, just go read Matthew 28. You're called. All right, that's, yeah, I'm not called to do that. That's not really my gifting. I'm not really passionate about that or, or whatever the case may be. We're quick to make excuses, aren't we? Uh, sometimes we don't hear God's voice, the Spirit of God's voice, because we're just drowning Him out with so many other voices, so many stuff pouring in our head and our mind that we cannot discern His voice. But folks, God is still speaking, and He's speaking to His church, and He's speaking to our church. And if you want to instill a global vision in your children, in your grandchildren, in our church, if God's going to do this, create this legacy through us, we have to listen to how the Spirit of God is speaking. You know, uh, just shortly after the tragedy of George Floyd, I reached out to Ronnie Goins, pastor in Arlington, and I said, hey, Ronnie, um, I want to sit down and do a video uh, with you about race and the gospel and disciple making. Uh, Ronnie's a, just a wonderful leader and a great disciple maker. And um, he said, okay, let's sit down. And I thought maybe this can be 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. An hour and 20 minutes later, they just let the camera run. We're still talking. And really, it was, it was a profound moment of just listening to his heart about racism in America and how the gospel is the only thing that breaks down walls of hostility and that the, the, the disciple making is the antidote for all the strife that we're experiencing in our nation. And out of that conversation it bled into lunch and the conversation continued on and then bled into over to other multiple conversations and part of what came out of it was what if we did more than just talk? What if we did more than just shoot a video? What if we did something tangible that demonstrated how God brings 
two groups together that could be at odds, but God makes us one in Jesus and a love for each other in Jesus, and that we could, we could plant a church that, that lives that value out. What if that could be something that we get to do? And through that, the Spirit of God started speaking to us about birthing this church in New York City, and he went to his leaders in his church, and I went to ours, and we started thinking about it, praying about it, talking about it, and the more we went, the more we saw the Spirit of God saying, yes. Folks, we're not, we're not coming and saying, hey, we want to plant this church in New York just because we got nothing else to do, right? Because we just saw, we saw a commercial somewhere and we thought that would be a cool thing to do. No, no, this is, this is a movement of the Spirit of God and us listening to the Spirit's voice. And if you want to leave a legacy, you got you to listen to the Spirit's voice. Second thing you got to do, jot this down, if you got to see God's work, you got to see God's work. You got to listen to the Spirit's voice. You got to see God's work. Look at what he says in verse 2. We're back, we're still in, in verse 2 here. He says, The Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. The work that I've called them. Underline the word work there. The Spirit of God had a job for Barnabas, he had a job for Paul. God knew the lives that they would touch. God saw the, the churches they would plant. God saw the influence that they would make. And, and God was calling them to set them apart for this work, this good work. Listen, God is still working. You know, I believe that the Spirit of God could see the see the the end from the beginning and, and he knows what the work is. He knew that when they would leave, they would go to Cyprus and they would face a, a, a evil witch doctor, but God would overpower him and a king would come to Christ. They, they knew that when they go to Pisidia Antioch, that the Jews would be open to the gospel. They knew that when Paul got to Lystra, Iconium and Lystra, that he would be beaten and left for dead, but God would raise him back to life. That God knew that they would go to Derby and they would plant churches and install leaders. God knew the influence that would ring out. And so he said, I've got a work for you to do. Did you know that God's got a work for you to do? God's got a, God sees it. God, God, uh, God, God has prepared works in advance for you to do. If you're willing to walk in them. You say, well, what does God have for me to do? I don't know what God has for me to do. Well, I think we have an idea of it. In John chapter 17, you can write in a little note in the footnote there, John 17, verse 3, 3 and 4. It, Jesus is praying in his high priestly prayer. This is the night before he's about to be crucified. He, the final prayer that he gives with his disciples and it's a very intimate prayer. It's really what I like to call the Lord's Prayer in that he is praying. It's the Lord praying for us. And he says this in John 17 verse 4. He said, Father, I have brought you glory on the earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. Now, wait a minute. What, what, did, what did Jesus finish? He hadn't gone to the cross yet. Whoa, 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 Jesus. You said you finished the work, but you hadn't gone to the cross yet. What work have you finished? Well, think about it. Jesus had finished the work. Jesus had, had made disciples, and those disciples had multiplied to the now to the fourth generation. The movement was growing. The movement could not be stopped now. And he said, I have already started this work of a global movement. Father, I have finished the work. 
Now listen, the same work that Jesus began is the same work he's calling us to join. And that is that work of making disciples and planting churches that will reach the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is what he's called us to do. That's what the whole Great Commission is about. Right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you will do this work, I will be with you. That, that's the whole promise. And so, what is the work that God's called us to? God's called us to this great work of making disciples and planting churches and giving our life to it until Christ comes. That's the work. And that's the work that God's called you to do. And that's the work that God's called me to do. And that's the work that God's called us to do as a church family. God's got work in advance for us to do. He's calling us to join the work. He's at work all around us. He's at work in and through this process. He's at work in New York City. But we have to join him. We get to join him. You, you understand that? Listen, what, what is a humbling thing to me is this. That God could choose any church to do this, right? God, there, there are probably a ton more churches, more uh, supplied and more qualified, certainly more pastors more qualified to plant a church in New York City than this one. But for some reason, God just chose us. How cool is that? God could have chose anybody, but he chose us. God could give this opportunity to anybody, but he gives it to us. So we've got to join him in his work. Here's something I want you to really hear my heart on, okay? I'm just, I'm just bearing my soul now to you. Sometimes the plan of God is not so much what he wants to do to you. is what he wants to do through you. You understand that? And that's not just a cutesy phrase that rhymes, okay? That, that's significant. Because so many times the way we praise, we God, God, do this for me. God, do this for me. God, do this. You know, I've got, I want you to do these things to my life. When God has a bigger picture of wanting to work through you in a way that impacts many lives. Don't sell yourself short. Don't have a myopic vision. Don't, don't think too small. God has got a bigger plan than you see. And God's at work. So we've got to listen to the Spirit's voice. We've got to see where God's at work. And then lastly, the way that you, you give this global vision is you've got to follow his lead. Look at, look at verse 3. Then after they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them off. They sent them off. Once they heard the Spirit speaking... Once they saw where God was working, they made a decision to follow where he was leading. This is what it means to walk by faith, folks. This is what it means. It means that, that I'm hearing his voice, I'm following his lead. That's what it means. This is what Jesus meant in John 10, 27, when he said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's, that's really the Christian life broken down, very simple. 
that I am going to listen to God's voice as he speaks to me through his word, through community, as I see him at work around me, and I'm going to follow his lead. I'm going to make a choice to follow his lead. I'm going to make a choice. And that's exactly what the church of Antioch did. They made a choice. They said, okay, we hear your voice, God. We see you're working, and you even see a picture we don't even see. And so now we're going to just pray and fast again, and then we're going to lay our hands on Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to send them off. This whole laying on of hands, that wasn't anything magical, mystical. It was simply a, a visible way of saying we endorse these men and we send them out from us to accomplish this work of God. Listen, the church was ready when God was leading. The question for you is, are you ready? When God speaks to you, are you ready? When God whispers in your voice, uh, in your ear, are you ready? When God, when you see God at work and he's saying, hey, I want you in that, are you ready? Or are you hesitating? Are you shrinking back? Are you ready? Are we ready to say yes? You know, I'm, I'm going to ask Charles to come on up. Charles, come on up here. Charles is our uh, church planter in New York City. Show him some love. Come on, folks. Uh, show him some love. And, and, you know, this man has taken a step of faith, right? I mean, he's like moving to New York. And God may be calling some of you to do that as well. But, Charles, I want you to share with us how you knew when you were ready to make this step, okay? Good morning, church. You awake, third service, good morning, church. All right, so um, thank you, Pastor Craig, for this opportunity. I'm so glad to be here. And um, I love this message he's giving us about figuring out whether you're ready to follow what God is calling you to do. And for the past few months, uh, that's been the question that I've been having to answer for God is, am I ready to do what he's asking me to do. Um, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 is the, the proverb that's been ringing in my ear this whole year as I assess that. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him. It's that lean not on your understanding part that is hard for me because I'm what you call an overthinker. Do I have any other overthinkers in the house? Let me see your hands if you're an overthinker. I am the president of the overthinker ministry. Um, we have a table outside just in case you want to join it. Um, little plug there. But whenever God calls me, even if I feel it in my heart and I know that it's a God move, I find myself always thinking of excuses for why I'm not able or ready to do what he's called me to do. I had an opportunity to go to New York a few months ago and actually see what New York had, had, had to offer and what it looked like in this season. And I met with pastors and went to churches and talked to planters. And I was like, oh, this is great. This is, this is an opportunity. This is a move of God. And New York needs this. I'm not ready, though. And that was it. Like, that was my answer to God in that moment. And even as I was on the plane headed back to Dallas, I was even thinking about, man, I got I to gotta call Pastor Craig. I got to call Pastor Ronnie. I got I to gotta tell them I'm not ready for this. They got to find another guy. So I was praying while I was on the plane, and I had a conversation with the Lord, and I said, God, this is, I know this is a God move. I, I hear you. I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm just not ready. And I'll never forget what the Lord said to me. I heard him say, what do you think it means to be ready? Like, how do you define ready? 
And I kind of got smart with God. I was like, God, come on now, that's an elementary word. Like ready is I'm the guy for it. Like I'm good to go. Like, come on, first grade, right? And then he challenged me to look it up in the dictionary. Literally, he said, look up the definition of ready. And I think I'm about to show God. I'm like, God, I'm right. I know what ready is. And I know you got the word, God, but I got the dictionary. Let me show you something real quick. So I looked up the definition of ready. And there were three definitions. The first definition was completely fit and in condition to be used. And immediately my thoughts came in. I said, God, I'm not completely fit. I'm not in condition to be a pastor and lead a church. Come on now. Like I'm, it's right here. Here's the proof. And then he said, keep on reading. Definition number two is duly equipped and arranged for a purpose or use. And then I started thinking again. I said, God, there's more equipping that you can do. You know, there's more you can put into me. Give me a little bit more time. Like here I am, think, 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 right? But then there was this third definition and it blew my mind and it convicted my heart. Definition number three of ready is one word, willing, willing. And in that moment, the Lord convicted me and he, he, he wants me to share this with you this morning that when God calls you to something big, when he wants you to do a bold move and he's saying, follow me to something crazy and I need you to have crazy faith. Usually when he calls you, we think he's calling us to be what he wants us to be, to be equipped and to be the perfect person for the job. When God is calling just to see if you're willing willing to follow him, willing to be obedient, willing to take that step, even when we feel inadequate. So as Pastor Craig comes back up, I wanna close by encouraging somebody in here. God might be calling you to do something big. And usually when God calls you, it is bigger than you. It's never a question of whether you're the perfect person for the job, whether your resume is perfect for it, whether you're fit or equipped to do it. The question is always, are you willing Will you obey me when you hear my voice? Amen. Thank you for that. Would you thank, thank, thank the Lord for that word? You know, um, this church in Antioch, they heard the Spirit's voice. They saw where God was at work. And they said, yes. They said, Lord, we're willing. They set aside the men for the task that the Spirit of God had appointed. And they did two things. They sent them out by putting their hands on them and praying for them. They sent them out to do this work. But they also supplied their needs. How did they get the money to get on the ship to go to Cyprus? How did they get from there to Pisidiana? How did they, they had to eat, they had to make provisions. Who took care of all that? Well, it was that church in Antioch that heard the Spirit's voice, that believed enough to send them and to supply their need. And one day when they came back, they had this great rejoicing of all that God had done because God chose them, because they were willing. So here's the question, are you willing? If the Spirit of God is speaking to our church and he's chosen us, if the Spirit of God has appointed a man and his wife and the team that he's going to shape around him and he's in residency right now, if the Spirit of God is at work in New York needing a church plan, if the Spirit of God is moving here and stirring us, are you willing to go? Are you willing to give? Next Sunday is a big give. Are you willing to say, you know what, I'm in? 
and I'm going to give and I'm going to serve and I'm going to do what my part that I can do because one day I know I'm going to stand before God and give an account of what he said to me, the opportunities he gave me. Are you willing to say yes? So I want us to close out today a little different. And I just want us to pray for Charles. Uh, in fact, they said they put their hands on him and prayed for him. So I'm just going to put my hand on Charles's shoulder and I'm going to pray uh, for him. But I want you to join me in that prayer. All right. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you, God. Thank you for your spirit that still speaks. That has been speaking to us and leading us up to this point. Thank you, God, that you have people right here in this room that right now, Spirit of God, you're speaking to their hearts. Some, you're speaking that it's time for them to go. They need to go to New York. They maybe need to relocate for a year to get this church planted. Maybe some to give in a unique way. Some to, to play a unique role. God, I, Spirit of God, we're listening to you. We want to hear your voice. We don't want to stop up our ears. And God, I thank you that you're at work in New York City and you're at work right here. And we see your hand at work all around the world with all the churches that we've been able to plant. But Lord, now we ask that you give us a willing spirit to say yes. Lord, in and of ourselves, we will make excuses. We will overthink. We will back up. We will hesitate. So Lord, give us the attitude and the and the leaning to say yes, the desire to say yes to you, and to be willing to go, willing to give, willing to plant this church for your glory. God, you've got work prepared in advance for us. Lord, make us willing to walk in it and to follow your lead. I pray for Charles. I pray you bless him, encourage him, go before him, help him, Lord, build a team around him, open up doors that we know only you can open up. Lord, we're excited to see how you're going to provide. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Yeah.